0: Welcome to the Metropolis podcast, featuring Dr. Professor Florian Hertweck. This episode is about the shrinking city phenomenon and the book The City in the City, Berlin, a Green Archipelago, curated by Florian Hertweck and Sebastian Marot.
1: So we are very pleased to have you uh, with us, uh, Professor Dr. Florian Hertweck. So we've heard so much about you. Thank you very much for according us some of your time. Um uh, so uh, you you are a professor of architecture and, and director of the master program at the University of Luxembourg. Uh, your researches are mainly design strategies from the metropolitan regions uh, of Berlin, Paris, Shanghai, and more recently Geneva. Um, so uh, maybe as a first question, uh, you can tell us uh, maybe a little, a little bit more. Uh, about uh, your background uh, your interests in architecture urban planning uh, so everybody can know a little bit more about you okay so let's try to be
2: efficient about that yeah Um, uh, i actually after 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 my studies in paris i still had the feeling that i have to train myself further uh, especially in um history and theory of, of urbanism. So I started the PhD on the reconstruction of Berlin in the 90s. So it was there was a huge uh, debate about this uh, reconstruction. And at the same time, I started working as an architect. So of course, when you start working as an architect, basically on your own, you start with small projects. So it was a kind of a tension between, let's say, studying the big metropolis, or the metropolitan condition, and working as an architect on single-family housing. <laughs> so that was uh, that's the beginning, and then somehow you try to merge it later. And after my PhD, I worked with Sebastian Marot, and I guess that's the topic today on the uh, edition of the of this uh, manifesto, the city in the city, Berlin Green Archipelago. Uh, so over, f- we worked five, I-, I think it was during five years, so it was a painful work, um, but the very consistent, I think, maybe the most substantial, uh, 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 let's say, or le- let's say in terms of depth, in terms of research of my of my books. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and at, at the same time, started more to um, uh, be interested in the, um, let's say, social ecological transition. So we, um, we've been working on, um, so, for example, there was this um, research program launched by the French Ministry of Culture, Ignis Mutadres, thinking the, city, the architecture, the city, and the landscape through the lens of energy. And at this time, when we were in the first pool of um, researchers working on the subject, uh, I remember it was basically focused on energy. And it was forbidden to talk about CO2, or gra- greenhouse gas emissions. And I worked on this project together with Jamel Klusch, that you know, of course, and Philippe Poutier, that you also might know and it was a, it was an interesting it was an interesting project and um, yeah and then later on i think what comes sooner or later when you think about the socio ecological transition sooner or later you cannot avoid the question of la- what you call the question of land or in french more technically spoken la question foncière so it's about who owns the land. Let's say, make it short. And uh, so that was, let's say, the, also the the issue of my um, of the pavilion I created in in uh, the Luxembourg Pavilion at the uh, Biennial, two thousand eighteen, and also an exhibit uh, ongoing exhibition. And now, more recently, so now I'm working with Milica Topalovic, with whom I. Uh, Led a team for the prospect um, of Greater Geneva 2050, and now I'm working with her on a on a new arch Plus. Uh, so this German beautiful magazine on the um, let's say notion of the Great Repair. So that's the that's let's say try to make it short. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Uh, and then, like, we really want to talk about the city in the city, Berlin, Green Archipelago, uh, both because we worked uh, on the Leipzig shrinking phenomenon. And uh, shrinking phenomenon in general, and for the project of course. And like, could you tell us how the book was born? What like was the relationship? Well, with the co-author, you oh, you just said that you worked with Sebastien Marot, uh, but also like with Rem Colas. How it's like it worked uh, between like lots of architects who worked in uh, this kind of big project, and also Oswald. Matthias Ungers and and especially what kind of debate was born like before like why the book was written the manifesto was written and then like after the the publication
2: yeah I mean I I so I was um, I was really um, stuck by by this uh, manifesto when I did my research for my uh, PhD dissertation dissertation and it was around 2000 at the end 2004-2005. So I was really astonished by this uh, manifesto, which was a kind of an alternative, uh, let's say, approach to the city than what was, let's say, the, 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 the um, current, let's say, um, approach, which was the compact city, you know, trying to to densify, let's say, the city within its boundaries. And realize a kind of a clear contrast between the compact city and the landscape, and the archipelago was a kind of a was a, was an alternative approach to this ideology of the compact city. And um, it was uh, born actually in a very interesting. Um, I mean, you have to go a little bit, um, and Sebastian tells this story in a in a brilliant way. You have to go further back in history. And basically, to understand both protagonists of the of the of the manifesto, so there was Oswald Matthias Ungers, one of the most famous architects in the in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and even in the 60s, he was let's say very famous for his experimental teaching at the TU Berlin. And then he participated, Oswald Matthias Ungers. He participated in. Um, In um, the construction of uh, a grand ensemble in a a big um, housing, uh, housing complex in Berlin, which was a catastrophe. People committed suicide and it was a disaster. And he didn't want to practice anymore. And then he followed the invitation by Colin Rowe, who at this time was teaching at Cornell, and invited him to come to Cornell to join him. Later on, uh, Colin Rowe said it was the biggest mistake he ever did, because there really was a fight between both uh, from them on. Uh, and, uh, but, but still, so Oswald Matthias Ungers in 69 goes to uh, Cornell and stops teaching, basically. It was after 68, so students were not interested anymore in you know, designing architecture. It was more the social role of architecture that was on the, on the foreground. And then this disaster was the So he stopped practicing. And he only did teaching and research. And he was interested in Cornell. Uh, 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 he was interested in these shrinking landscapes. So they were, you know, that after, um, the Second World War, the middle class, you know, went in the United States, settled down in suburbia, you know, and the and the and the, and the, and the 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 cities uh, actually were uh, d- d- diminishing in terms of population, in terms of services, in terms of activities. There was really a let's say a fall of um, urbanity. How what you call in English urbanity? It's not the same like in French. And so he was very interested in this condition of the in this shrinking condition of uh, American cities, and then after a couple of years as an architect, you know, it's super important. You still want to design and to build, and he wanted to return somehow into uh, into uh, the the market of construction and to become again a, a practitioner. And the opportunity was given to him to become the director of the so-called IBA. So the IBA is an international building exhibition. You might know this program. It's super famous. Amongst them, the most famous one is, of course, Stuttgart-Weissenhof. Um, you know, directed by Mies and then the Interbau '57, um, with uh, which is an amazing, uh, amazing, uh, let's say, modernist district. And then they, the condition of West Berlin, so it, it should have, have, have happened in uh, West Berlin, and there was a kind of a social democratic senator, and he was confronted as what happened was in all uh, main met- Western metropolis that he was confronted to a shrinking um, uh, uh, condition in terms of demography, but also in terms of economy. And uh, so you have to be aware that in the, in the course of the 60s and basically 70s, um, all be- main cities that you know today as a growing, let's say, metropolises were shrinking. So, London lost its population. New York City was uh, like nobody wanted to go to New York City, you know. Um, Paris lost its population. Um, and West Berlin was um, m- m- probably the city which lost most of its uh, population because of, of course, the condition of the post war period, you know, when um, it's lost its status as a, as a capital, German capital also as an economic and financial capital of, 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 of Germany, and it was, as Kola has always stated, West Berlin was a free island, so it was actually part of the Western world, so you can freely, you know, go to wherever, Western Europe or the States or Canada or even in the Eastern Bloc, if you wanted, but West Berlin was surrounded by the wall, so it was what he called, if, if he, and you know, of course, Exodus, when he tries to you know, call us in his diploma, wants to project this idea into, uh, into the city of London. So that was, that was the condition that they were facing and they wanted to, um, to uh, revisit the idea of an international building exhibition more in terms as an urban repair in order to somehow reboost the city but also in order to realize uh, social housing the program was clearly social housing and this senator said the best person I can imagine to become the director of this IBA is Oswald Matthias Ungers and Oswald Matthias Ungers so he was still in Cornell sometimes traveling to West Berlin And he said, "Okay, what is the the theoretic threat that has to be, let's say, the the, the basement of this IBA? And to find this threat, he um, uh, organized a couple of workshops, summer schools. um, And uh, um, um, one was called the Urban Villa. Um, directed by Hans Kohlhoff and the other one was called The City in the City. And um, to this seminar in Berlin, Hans, Oswald, uh, uh, um, um, Quatsch, Hans um, Oswald Matthias Ungers invited his former assistant, Rem Kohlhaas, who was super fascinated by Oswald Matthias Ungers. In 71, he um he said he traveled to, to um, Berlin, West Berlin. He was fascinated. You know, He did this uh, work on, on the wall, on the Berlin Wall. And then his diploma is this kind of translation of the West Berlin condition on, on London. As I said, he bought his, his, the small uh, heft, the small uh, dossiers uh, that Ungers had published in the 60s. So he was super fascinated by Ungers. And, um, and he became his assistant um, in uh, in um, in the 70s um, in Cornell. But when Ungers organized these summer schools, he invited Rem was already in in London. They even they even had this relation where they wanted to set up their their common like office, you know, OMA and uh, OMA. Uh, you is a kind of a, you know, is a response to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he invited Rem Koolers to come to join as one of the experts this summer school about the city in the city, uh, amongst which were interesting people like Sterling, Rob Krier, um, Rossi. I mean, all those guys came to Berlin, you know, because Ungers knew them because he was also part, not officially, but unofficially part of the Team 10. So his network was amazing. And, uh, and Rem Kolas was the youngest expert amongst these, these guests. And uh, as he said, he had already the first text, the the, the, the the couple of pages that you know, in the suitcase. So he brought this idea, and he called it the uh, a green archipelago, Berlin a green archipelago. Whereas Ungers had this idea of the island, you know, of 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 the city in the city, that was his, his theme for a long time. So that was basically the, the 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 history of of this manifesto. And then they tried somehow to, or Ungers tried to make this um, super, let's say, uh, surrealistic uh, uh, text. Uh, written by Rem Koolhaas to make it plausible as a threat for an international building exhibition. So you have on one side you have something that is more kind of an architectonic fantasy, and on the and and then how to make it plausible to use it as a kind of a model for a building exhibition. So that was somehow what I thought was super interesting. This tension between um something that is surrealistic and something that has to be super realistic
1: okay
0: yes yes
3: so to go more through like the book and the theory uh in the first thesis like ungers talks about how important is the surface of a city and the control strategies And uh, so we were doing uh, Leipzig, and so Leipzig is actually like three times bigger than Paris, and the territory is not well organized. So how can we deal with a city who is shrinking, or at the opposite is growing to success? Like, and for example, like what did Berlin do?
2: Yeah, maybe we we should keep another couple of minutes on the on the on the seventies because the seventies are. uh, is, 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 as you know, uh, probably the most interesting decades of the last, let's say, 100 years. At the beginning, you know, there was Dennis Meadows and and Diona and, and Meadows' um, 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 uh, idea of, the you know, the end of the, the, the limit to growth. And then there was the, the two oil crisis, and architects were super concerned by this new condition. And they developed many, many ideas, but this Manifesto is so interesting because it is the first real reflection at the scale of the city or at the scale of an urban landscape, let's say, uh, in as Kula stated, for a zero growth Europe. So it's this kind of if we are interested today in this kind of post growth condition and how can we, you know, transform our, you know, we are still the, the production of space is still. Conditioned by the growth paradigm still today, you know. So how can we shift to post-growth uh, kind of territorial design or territorial development? And that, let's say, if you if you if you um, if you um, restitute a kind of a genealogy, this is may may be one of the most important starting points. And Niklas Mark, the German critic, he said it in a very nice way. It's like a shrinking phenomenon. It's like when you do a party and you invite many people, but there are not so many people that come to your party. You know, where do you go? You know, you have a big flat and you invite many people. I mean, the best parties is when everything is full. But uh, if there are not many people, so you all go into the kitchen. So this is the archipelago is a little bit the same. You know, you don't have many people, but you have a big kind of a a big city, you know, city. Berlin was way bigger in terms of um, in terms of democracy in in the 30s, you know, until until the Second World War. It was a huge metropolis and all of a sudden shrinking down, especially West Berlin. And uh, so the idea was really to say, OK, how can we save the the, the uh, a minimum of urbanity you know in this in this uh, condition so then you say it's like going into the kitchen you define what could be the spots in the city that we can strengthen and that we can intensify you know and uh, of course the approach was typomorphological in the 70s and today it would be different but that's the idea and then the rest we can return it to nature i mean that's a very beautiful uh, idea that you have a kind of network of of intense urban islands floating in this green green sea, and what is also I think the big lesson is to see the I mean this there are probably two main lessons from the archipelago. The first one is to um, to look at 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 a territory not from not exclusively from the build, from the perspective of the build. That is still, let's say, the mainstream, the mainstream, um, the mainstream um, technique of territorial design or urban, urban development is still looking from the perspective of the build. So here, all of a sudden you have something that looks from both sides, the build, but also the unbuilt. That is I think, super important. So a kind of an emancipation of unbuilt you could call it let's call it nature. And the second one is, I think, is that for nature, and that's also my hypothesis that Ungers was much more interested by the islands, whereas Kolas was more fascinated by the the green lagoon, and that you that nature is not, you know grassland and forests or and agricultural fields but that there, there is a fully functional uh, character that you can associate with nature. So I, I don't know uh, Leipzig I don't I don't think that it's still shrinking is it?
3: no no it is not actually it's, it's,
2: it's, it it's, was like for a lot it, it's actually,
3: actually. called uh, the New Berlin now um, uh, yeah they actually told me this i was in 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 brussels and uh some um some young people told me i want to go to leipzig it's the new berlin now i want to move there and i was kind of in shock because of course we were studying the shrinking phenomenon like really like this kind of part of the history of leipzig so it was kind of nice to know that that now is better so um Maybe uh, we can ask you this question. So do you think maybe nowadays Berlin or Leipzig respond to the concept of pluralist cities in a city? Like the thing that is actually on the book. Like, do you think they can respond to that?
2: No, I mean, the, the idea was, of course, that this polycentric kind of um, as a city landscape was um, and and that that was always my criticism towards uh, the archipelago project that they had in mind, like homogeneous islands, and that the, the 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 whole metropolis is of course a polycentric city with homogeneous islands. But that's plural. At, at the end, the whole thing is a pluralistic kind of constellation. But I think the the islands have to be heterogeneous it's themselves you know and um so of course i mean no of course berlin it was let's say like paris you know paris was always the model for berlin and also in the 90s we have to become a kind of a uh, you know a kind of a monumental capital uh, and um, and this idea of uh, this classic classic uh, idea of aesthetics you know that's Mm-hmm. And, and and not the, the idea of the archipelago is also that you it's like you know that there is also the aesthetic of the rain, of uh, collision of um, contrast of um, you know love something that is maybe not finished and finite and, and planned and designed and something that is more you know f- f- the fruit of improvisation somehow
3: but nowadays, what do you think?
2: Berlin? About Berlin?
3: Yeah, about if it it, it responds now, because of course, before no, oh. but now...
2: No, no, that was always... I mean, that's Ungers, of course, because Ungers knew the history of Berlin, and Ungers knew that Berlin was always a kind of... Um, um a network of small villages historically you know and what you call in German the the keats you know the keats is somehow the local kind of you know urban urbanity let's say and 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 it was historically of course a network of villages cities and it became only in 1919 uh the the greater berlin you know but still of course it was this network but but the idea in the 90s w- was to homogenize everything i mean which didn't succeed but it but to a certain extent yes but Unger's, Unger's and kolas uh, idea didn't play any role in the in the 90s anymore and and neither today because today it's uh, it's growing and um, th- there's no um that doesn't play any role, unfortunately.
3: Yes. So at the same time, you you also talked about exodus. Uh, so of course, we were living in a time that we we're going on and off in exodus, like rural and urban exodus. So our question is maybe how can we safeguard like urban quality on a city with this transformations that are going on all the time.
2: Well, I, 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 we had, uh, we had uh, with my students two days ago, we had Kels Christianse, who, who was in the team, in Remkola's team for La, la Villette, uh, Parc de la Villette competition. He didn't, and it was interesting that he didn't show melin I think there's a direct uh, relation between um, the, the green archipelago and melin and I think this is a big lesson also is to say, so looking from the unbuilt, as I said before, but also what Colas does in Melan um, is first of all, you protect, you define the unbuilt and you protect it forever. And the remaining fragments then could be, you know, densified. And I think this is something we really, I mean, we really have to take care of today, I think, when it comes to the transformation of cities, because we are facing, of course, the challenges of, of course, social inequalities, but also climate change and also um, resource scarcity. So I think We have to protect in the city. So that is my, let's say, stance today is to say we have to protect um, everything that is unbuilt. So we cannot, of course, seal any more land. So we have to protect it. Doesn't mean we have to freeze it, but we have to protect it. And then we have to proceed to a transformation of what is there. And uh, meaning, you know, overbuilding, extending, transforming the program, and so on. So I think this is basically what it what it's what what we have to do today. I mean, Sebastián Marot said it already a long time ago. He said, instead of extending our cities, we have to proceed to a deepening of of the territories. You know, and, and that is important. I think you have to distinguish between densification, which is a stupid notion. And intensification, and that was already something that was important for Ungers and Kolas. They wanted to intensify, you know.
1: Mm. Yes. It doesn't
2: mean it doesn't mean per se densifying, no.
1: No. Um, actually, it's good that you talk about Melon because I'm working. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going out of script. Maybe uh, I'm working on a uh, uh, on a memoir uh, which is entitled "Blending the Void." And actually I'm analyzing uh, all of the thoughts of Rem Kulas, um, uh, like the, his definition of the void, the absence uh, of the, the built, and also this question of intensity, which is translated in, in, in like emotions and experiences throughout uh, every, every void, uh, void space he creates. And like, for example, when he, when he, when he does, uh, does these strips of voids in Milan Sanach, for example, he does it for a certain reason. Uh, and i think like planning the void is st- essential uh, as you said it's essential part of building uh, a city and is like the next step to uh, to uh, evolve in the city um, so yeah yeah
2: also you said, I mean what you said before is when it comes to migration let's say I mean, mm. that is something we will, um, we observe it already today, you know, I'm here in Luxembourg, so there's a huge migration towards uh, Luxembourg City, and that is, if you look at the migration activities worldwide, mm. it's clear that there will be more and more migration towards, let's say, prosperous cities, you know, cities no. that, where, where there are many jobs, let's say, okay? And that is, the problem is that because of the question of land you know ownership questions and so on people who arrive today in cities cannot afford anymore to live there you know that is the main it's not like in the 70s that is the big difference you know we went in the 70s to berlin you could almost live there for free you even got money from the state to go to berlin (laughs) today you go into the city like you know like luxembourg it's impossible Um, until, let's say, the higher middle class to settle down in the city. So the less privileged you are, the less money you earn, the more you have to go into the hinterland. And then you commute into the city. And that is, of course, something that is highly unsustainable. So the growth today does not happen anymore in the core city in terms of demography but basically in the in the suburban or in the hinterland in small villages you know and that is something we could can observe you know in geneva or in you know luxembourg or in all the all the cities and that is the bi- that is the big problem so how can we how can we um, um, proceed to both first integrating people into the city again but at the same time, protecting the unbuilt, and I think, I think the key to that is sufficiency in, in mobility. I would state that mobility is not an expression of freedom anymore, but it's rather um, you know a necessity to people basically to commute because you have this division of functions across the territory you know between where people live where they work where they buy their stuff where they you know go for leisure so there's there, there's this mobility in the let's say suburban areas where most of the people live today and that is of course highly unsustainable so if we succeed in integrate in 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 bringing sufficiency in mobility especially daily mobility then we can make use of such a tremendous reservoir of spaces and surfaces. I mean, think about what we have outside there, you know, what is unused. It's incredible, you know, look at all the commercial zones, look at all these garages, um, inner urban highways, um, you know, there's so much. I mean, I was astonished when I went to Paris and I saw all those restaurants and bars taking possession of the, of the streets. Again. And I think this is something we really have to go for. You know, get 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 rid of of the car, of many many areas, and and then we have an incredible reservoir of spaces and surfaces that we can develop. Yeah.
3: Wow. To add another layer, kind of like, like a complex layer. Uh, uh, when I read the book, that it's actually here. Uh, here uh I was really interested like in um, in a topic who is not very developed in the book actually, but it's more like the individualization in a city. so the independence and liberty of the human being like that role has changed a lot uh, with time and how we can identify with where we are living. It's really interesting. Uh, so what is your opinion about this nowadays?
2: About individual individuality?
3: Yeah, yeah, about how we are living like the city as individuals. Ah,
2: that is a very philosophic uh let's yeah, uh, <laughs> question. but I, I I would recommend you to read a, a, a brilliant book one of maybe one of the best books that has been written over the last years by a german sociologist called Andreas Reckwitz and he calls it he's not talking about individuality but he's call, he calls it singularity. He says we are living in a society of singularity. And I very much like this idea because not it it includes also communities that want to be you know everybody everybody wants to be singular, yeah. including communities and 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 so on and so forth, and um, and he said there is a, a very interesting phenomena today mm-hmm. that if you look at the history there were even. In the modern movement, there were always two, let's say, tendencies, social, social tendencies, at least in the, let's say, middle class. One was, you know, the, from romanticism to the movement of alternative movement in the 60s, 68, um, was always this idea of the emancipation of the individual. So you want to be free. Uh, you guys, you are you are struggling, I guess you want to be, you know, free and not so conventional, right? You want to um, do, you want to follow your own plans, let's say, okay? And the other genealogy, he said, was more the kind of bourgeois kind of idea that you have to set up, you know, status, uh, security, um, you know, and, and and that comes when you are a little bit older, basically, and then you you know you have your career, family, and so on, and to and you, and and so. And he says we are in the first time in history that people in our society wants both, and that creates a kind of a friction, you know. Uh, you want to be free emancipated and and follow your own desires at the same time you want status uh, money uh, and so on and so forth and i think this is super interesting because um that creates what he calls a kind of a, a, a constant history of deception delusion um and um, and i think we have to be aware of that when it comes to urban development or, let's say, the production of space, I think you really have to work on thresholds between what is individual, intimate, private sphere and the commons and the public. So there are, let's say, three categories, right? We have the individual, private, intimate, we have the common sphere, and then the public. The common is not public. And um, and 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 that is that is I think super super important as Sloterdijk always says there's no exterior so it's not the individual and then the outside is you know public or it's some 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 space where I can I don't know it's outside now we are constantly in like in a foam constellation we are always in an interior and we have to be aware of the th- thresholds between these spheres. And I think this is super interesting because uh, this common sphere is something we really have to work on. And I think this is something that your generation is particularly interested because it's a quest- it, it questions old categories of ownership. So there is something in between. I was always in, in France, you have the feeling that there's only individual ownership or the state. And nothing in between. But that's not true, of course. So I think this common idea, you know, that you can extend in terms of housing, for example, in terms of cooperatives, in terms of energy production, in terms of food production, in terms of so many things, this is something I think you have to find architectural and urbanistic, um, let's say, answers and, and visions and scenarios for this common sphere. And then, how to articulate it with the individual that you have to protect, and then with the public. That is, of course, another category.
3: That's a difficult task. Yeah,
2: yeah that's <laughs> difficult. Yeah, but I mean, yes, but I think that is something you really have. I mean, that, there's no, for me, there is no other solution. It's neither the, the, the socio-ecological transition will not be a kind of a state-driven thing, neither individual the individual always tends in terms of lifestyle to something you know that is unsustainable so the only solution the only category in which you can succeed the transition is the common but it's not the same like in the 60s you know where you abandon any private or intimacy or private and individuality i think there has to be you have to establish coexistence between both or interactions between both but yeah yeah,
0: that's and like uh, the next question is is very linked to that to that one because like as sebastian maro said the the book has a strongly hybrid like nature there is a manifesto there are thoughts of different architects there are interviews and do you think that like contemporary urbanism still has this imaginative and freedom in nowadays or it's more linked to um, more technical or economical like issues
2: point of view. Yeah. Well I mean I mean what is clear is that that the let's say architectonic and urbanistic practice as we can observe it today will not suffice to fulfill the demands in terms of climate change and resource scarcity. So it clearly needs and that is your generation who will develop it It clearly needs an out of the box thinking in terms of urbanism and architecture. I, I, it's clear that that you know take take it as it is now even the most let's say innovative projects, Nothing is zero. I mean, you don't. If you see a zero emission or emission-free project, don't believe it. So I, I think, uh, I think there is a. It's you have to, you have to re-question the whole practice. Yes, of course. And the problem is, of course, that there's no real theory today about this. So that's the big problem.
0: No. Yeah, and. Um... Uh, what do you do you think about the book? like what are the outdated issues like uh, and what are the ones that are still like deeply relevant? like as students, what we can learn and what we can say, okay, it's more, it's more like a thing that it's not like um, I don't know contemporary anymore.
2: I mean, it's. I, I think exactly what I said before. You know, this idea of looking through the perspective of the unbuilt, You know, trying that maybe a bee has the own, the same right as a you know human. So there's this kind of cohabitation. I think uh, kind of thinking, um, and and then um, and then of course the um, the the idea of um, of getting out of the comfort zone of an you know urban planner so there is this surrealistic moment I think and and this is this again I think this is super important for you you have the always the the ideal sphere the sphere in which you can you know, have this out of the box thinking you know you experiment and so on and then you have the real sphere and how can you articulate both I mean that is the that's of course the big challenge right but if you are only in the real sphere then it's not your too pragmatic you know and if you're only in this ideal sphere then you're completely d- disconnected to the to the territory so i think this is something also when it comes to design designing is not something that is in the beginning or that is the main tool the design process it was more research by design you know the we re- Ungers was there, there was Peter Riemann, he was somebody who drew beautiful plants and he said, okay, go go ahead and draw, draw, now draw only the build structure. The next day came, you know, it was with Rapido at this time, you know, and he said, and now draw only the infrastructures and now only water and now only and so on. So it was drawing, 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 representing, representing and then we superimpose these two aspects, we superimpose these two aspects, and then we discover more and more things, problems, but also opportunities of the territory, you know, by decomposing and recomposing the city in its fragments and recomposing it, you know, and then uh, all of a sudden, the project appears slowly, you know, by itself. But I think in terms of Co creation, it was maybe a little bit lacking. Therefore, at this respect, I think the IBA uh, uh, 87, the real IBA, because then it was, uh, Ungers didn't get the job, but it was, there were two different parts of IBA. Maybe you know this story Neubau, IBA, Altbau, IBA, and the Altbau IBA was, I think, the most interesting um, thing that happened in Europe in, urban, in urbanism in the last 50 years and you really have you, you should have a look at this what they did back then you know in the 80s it was actually it was what they called the instanzbesetzung so that is a beautiful neologism in german so which means instand uh, me, uh, besetzen so meaning you squat uh, you squat a building and you repair it OK, so you take possession of some you appropriate yourself kind of an, uh, space, and then you, you, you repair it. And, and I think this is something that is uh, super beautiful. I think you have to, um, you have somehow to um, take possession, the right to the city, I think fight for the right to the city, you know, and then repair also the city. I think this is super beautiful in a very participatory um, approach. Uh,
1: I think in Leipzig, we have this, uh, this notion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is like this associations of artists that take over a place. They don't pay rent, but they repair yeah. the building, for example. Yeah. And yeah, it's quite beautiful. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And and therefore, you need, of course. I mean, first of all, you have to fight against real estate economy. You know, this is super important. Uh, The land should not be considered as a good you can trade with, you know, but it's a common good and fight for this. Repoliticize the architectural discourse, take possession of the city again, um, but also then find um, super smart techniques. In order to go for this, you know, for this change, you know, like community land trusts, or uh, you know, you can find different kinds of foundations that could, you know, buy the land and then give you lease, lease rights uh, to to you, and so on. You, I, I think, there are so many important tools and interesting tools to proceed to a kind of a co-creation that is not based on the prof, on the pure, you know, profit of the real estate market.
0: and I'm really interested in that in the fact that you repeated many times the this link between surrealistic and imperialistic thing, and talking also about new frontiers in architecture and in urbanism. We are trying to understand, to study, to do uh, also like and as yes, more like to understand the metaverse. And we know that lots of like Zaha Hadid, for example, uh, made a project, made a project in the metaverse, like Project a City. That it's not it's a the same time surrealistic and imperialistic in a certain way but like we really want to understand more and to have also like a critical approach in this new kind of architecture so we we really want to know your opinion about this kind of new way of pro- do a project or yeah
2: no I'm I mean I'm not interested in this kind of you know this cool asian surrealist not anymore at all uh, that was I mean I followed Kola for a long time I think it was super interesting what he did but it's we are now on on, on other on other tracks I would say you know I, I don't think if whether let's say surrealism and storytelling is of course not the same thing I think you need to develop super powerful narratives because you know, if you say, okay, guys, we have to reduce, um, you know, in an urban territory, we have to reduce um, uh, the carbon footprint by 90%, you know, what does it mean? And everybody is afraid of it. It's really, it's everybody is scared by, by, by that. And, and that is our duty. And we are the key, I think, key actors in developing narratives because politicians are unable to do so. So you should develop narratives. But it's not for me, surreal. I mean, of course, we can learn from surrealism in terms of representation in terms of you know out-of-box thinking. But I don't, it's not this Kohlhaasian surrealism that he developed, You know, the capacity of the captive globe and these things. I, I don't think it helps us anymore today.
3: It's more because we are actually doing with Klaas and Andres uh, a meta-CT then. So uh we would like to know what do you think about this new way of living a space, like with the glasses on, like the Facebook metaverse, all this kind of way of new living?
2: I don't know. I'm not <laughs> I'm I'm not particularly I don't know. I think it's interesting what you do, guys. I'm I'm not uh I I, I can't give you an answer right now, but when it comes to maybe just to Come back to your to Zahadit. Um, I you know I get so many. Um, it's it's really interesting because we get so many applications here from um, the 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 east, the far east. So um, we get you know from Iran and the um, the and surrounding countries, and it's so de- you get so depressive to see that Zahadid is apparently still a god in in the in the um, in the um, Orient, and I I said I really I I think we have to kill zahadit a second time. I mean she's already dead, but we have this unfortunate Patrick Schumacher who is uh, you know continuing this uh, completely disconnected kind of you know this anarcho-capitalistic kind of weird um, weird. Um, uh, thinking of the and, and also designing way of designing that is completely disconnected of everything we have to think about today so um so this is for sure I, i'm i'm really i get really depressive when I see you know they are all working in this kind of streamlining uh, the architecture and it's just exactly what we don't need today yeah. I think the problem is there is this kind of the techno fix uh, kind of ideology is super powerful and it's of course dominant also not only in the economy but also in the political discourse everywhere in the Western world. The problem is um, is that um, that um, you should not believe that technology will solve our our, our problems. You know, I, and 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 the problem with technology is that first of all um, the the, 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 let's say the argument, the techno-fix argument is that future techn- technology, technological development will solve our problems. So first, these developments are not there yet. Second, technology has never solved anything. It's always, for example, it always creates another problem. It always has to be maintained, repaired, you know, they are more, uh, you know when it comes to take for example e mobility you know the e car so the e car saying you know or the smart city you know you should you should you should read uh, niklas marx brilliant book Technophoria, saying okay we we optimize mobility you know um that does not um that does not the, the message is that does you don't have to change your life. We don't have to change economy. We don't have to change politics. Technology will fix it, you know? And that's the biggest problem with the techno fix, that no, it, no, we have to change our lives. No, we have to change the economy. No, we have to change politics, you know? Um, there is, of course, the ambition there is in the, in the technological discourse, there is, of course, Small, let's say, specter where there is this ambition to, you know, to, to, let's say, uh, f- you know, articulate it in a kind of a grassroots kind of um, uh, approach. But that is, that is uh, almost nothing, you know. And, um, and, um, I mean, also, even if the technology is there then to be implemented you know we had this fantastic technology for example the transrapid i don't know if you heard about this siemens worked on that over decades and uh, and that w- would have been fantastic in the 60s, 70s they could have connected all the main cities in europe we don't we would not have today any uh, airplane activity in europe if they had you know but they didn't, never did they never implemented it so I think I'm very doubtful towards um, uh, towards this uh, technology. You should you should read um, um, uh, Pierre Case's uh, book on durée, and uh, his stance is really to say, and and I totally agree. Therefore, I work also on this on this topic topic, that the um, we have to repair what is there already. We have to take care of what is there. And, and, and not only as architects, but also as, as human beings, also in terms of economy. For, exa- for instance, you know, there are more engineers today in the world working for maintenance and, and repair than in the development. But this is almost unknown, you know. And there's so much invisible work also, so much invisible labor, you know, in terms of care, repair, maintenance and so on. And this is much more in terms of architecture. I, I've been living 20 years in France. So I know in France, there's always the flex instead of repairing what is there and maybe, you know, transforming it, just bam, kill it. And then we have a new big project, you know. And I think this is not the way we can conceive our future anymore, especially in terms of resource scarcity. Yes. So I would plead for sufficiency. Maybe you can tell
3: us a little bit of what are you working on now yeah. so we can just close it like this. So yeah, no, it's, no, exactly. it's
2: this this idea of the of mm. the great what we call the great repair, you know, it's this idea uh, To proceed to a new material culture and to say we really have to um, exclusively work with what is there. So, um, uh, um, and and repairing doesn't mean to restitute an original state, you know, when something is broken. It, It already needs a kind of a broken world thinking, okay, to consider, okay, our world is broken. So how can we fix it, you know? And to uh, be, I I think that what is interesting, I mean, we discovered this beautiful text of a heritage uh, protagonist from Austria, 93. His name is uh, Wilfried Lipp, and he published a text. He called it the Society of Repair. And he said that we conservationists, so heritage protection, you know, guys from the heritage, we are always considered to be reaction, conserv- conservative, of course, but maybe even reactionary, you know, only concerned of the, uh, only concerned by old stones, you know, and and protect, you know, churches and, and, and old architectures, but that's not true, uh, and we should extend this idea of protecting and repairing to the whole environment. You know, to not only to the build but also to the unbuilt, and I think this is um, super interesting because I also see feel this in your generation, this kind of doubt uh, towards um, you know projects, the architectural project, the urbanistic projects. Why do we have to build again? I think this is super interesting. There are many many young architects who ask us. You ask yourself, why do we have to build? You know. And um, and, uh, and and there's also, of course, you know, you know, the Lacaton Vassal project in Bordeaux when they say maybe it's better not to build, you know to transform this. It's almost all right, let's say, you know. And I think this is something as we enter into this, um, or we are already in in it, this epoch of resource scarcity. I think this, this, um, this idea of no more destruction, no more sealing um, 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 of land, no more extending of the built fabric, you know, but proceeding to something that how to repair really what is there. And also maybe link it to the discourse of ownership. You, know, you can only repair something. You can only own something when you can repair it. And, and you have to also conceive architecture that is repairable and that, then we are again in the in the problem of technology if there's too much technology in it it's difficult to repair it and, and, and technology is it's very very soon it's obs- it becomes obsolete and, and that, is, that is i think you know maybe uh, charlotte maltabart what she you know she re- she claimed this kind of moratorium on construction we should even stop building I mean, this is of course a provocation, but it, 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 um, it calls us to really look because we have so much unused or underused or badly used spaces and surfaces. It really forces us to really look. And that, that is something I would really, also I work with my students, you know, look at what is unused. You know, if you have this, this lens, If you go, you know this lens, and you look in the territory, then you discover so many, uh, uh, so many potential spaces and surfaces that you could develop in a different way. So becoming, in a in a way, the bricoleur again, you know, working with with what is there. Okay. Um, So
1: it was really a pleasure. Really a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time.